For our scripture reading, we turn to Acts chapter 10. book of Acts, we read about, in this chapter, about the Gentiles receiving the Holy Spirit. Then as we go on into chapter 11, it speaks about how the, the saints went up to Antioch and the church that was formed up in Antioch. And then later, we read about the sending out of Barnabas and Saul to go forth to, to the various nations, and the spreading of the gospel elsewhere the Gentiles, and they would go, of course, to the Jew first and then also to the Greek, so that the gospel starts going out and going farther out into other areas. But here, in Acts chapter 10, we read about the Gentiles receiving the Holy Spirit, and this is connected to what we read in Pentecost about the pouring out of the Spirit at Pentecost. Here we read of these Gentiles receiving the Spirit. We'll start at verse 1. There was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of the band called the Italian band, a devout man, and one that feared God with all his house, which gave much alms to the people and prayed to God always. He saw in a vision, evidently about the ninth hour of the day, an angel of God coming into him and saying unto him, Cornelius. And when he looked on him, he was afraid and said, what is, it, what is it, Lord? And he said unto him, Thy prayers and thine alms are come up for a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa and call for one Simon, whose surname is Peter. He lodgeth with one Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the seaside, he shall tell thee what thou oughtest to do. And when the angel which spake unto Cornelius was departed, he called two of his household servants and a devout soldier of them that waited on him continually. And when he had declared all these things unto them, he sent them to Joppa. On the morrow, as they went on their journey and drew nigh unto the city, Peter went up upon the housetop to pray about the sixth hour. He became very hungry and would have eaten. But while they made ready, he fell into a trance and saw heaven opened and a certain vessel descending unto him as it had been a great sheet knit at the four corners and let down to the earth. Wherein were all manner of four-footed beasts of the earth and wild beasts and creeping things and fowls of the air, and there came a voice to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, Not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice spake unto him again the second time, What God hath cleansed, that call not thou common. This was done thrice, and the vessel was received up again unto heaven. Now while Peter doubted in himself what this vision which he had seen should mean, behold, the men which were sent from Cornelius had made inquiry for Simon's house and stood before the gate and called and asked whether Simon, which was surnamed Peter, was lodged there. While Peter thought on the vision, the Spirit said unto him, 
Behold, three men seek thee. Arise, therefore, and get thee down, and go with them, doubting nothing, for I have sent them. And Peter went down to the men which were sent unto him from Cornelius, and said, Behold, I am he whom ye seek. What is the cause wherefore ye are come? And they said, Cornelius, the centurion, a just man, and one that feareth God, and of good report among all the nation of the Jews, was warned from God by an holy angel to send for thee into his house and to hear words of thee. Then called he them in and lodged them. And on the morrow Peter went away with them, and certain brethren from Joppa, Joppa accompanied him. And the morrow after they entered into Caesarea, Cornelius waited for them and had called together his kinsmen and near friends. And as Peter was coming in, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. Then Peter took him up, saying, Stand up. I myself also am a man. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many that were come together. And he said unto them, Ye know how that it is an unlawful thing for a man that is a Jew to keep company or come unto one of another nation. But God hath showed me that I should not call any man common or unclean. Therefore came I unto you without gainsaying, as soon as I was sent for. I ask therefore for what intent ye have sent for me. And Cornelius said, Four days ago I was fasting until this hour. And at the ninth hour I prayed in my house, and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing, and said, Cornelius, thy prayer is heard, and thine alms are had in remembrance in the sight of God. Send therefore to Joppa, and call hither Simon, whose surname is Peter. He is lodged in the house of one Simon a tanner by the seaside, who when he cometh shall speak unto thee. Immediately therefore I sent to thee, and thou hast well done that thou art come. Now therefore are we all here present before God to hear all things that are commanded thee of God. And Peter opened his mouth and said, Of a truth I perceive that God is no respecter of persons, but in every nation he that feareth him and worketh righteousness is accepted with him. The word which God sent unto the children of Israel, preaching peace by Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all, that word I say ye know, which was published throughout all Judea, and began from Galilee after the baptism which John preached. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power, who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. We are witnesses of all these things which he did both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem, whom they slew and hanged on a tree. Him God raised up the third day and showed him openly, not to all the people, but unto witnesses chosen before of God, even to us who did eat and drink with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach unto the people and to testify that it is he which was ordained of God to be the judge of quick and dead. To him give all the prophets witness that through his name, whosoever believeth in him shall receive remission of sins. 
While Peter yet spake these words, the Holy Ghost fell on all them which heard the word. And they of the circumcision which believed were astonished, as many as came with Peter, because that on the Gentiles also was poured out the gift of the Holy Ghost. For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Then answered Peter, Can any man forbid water? that these should not be baptized, who have received the Holy Ghost as well as we. And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. Then prayed they him to tarry certain days. So far we read from the Holy Scriptures tonight. And the text we consider consists of verses 44 through the first part of 46. While Peter yet spake these words, the Holy Ghost fell on all them which heard the word. And they of the circumcision which believed were astonished as many as came with Peter, because that on the Gentiles also was poured out the gift of the Holy Ghost. For they heard them speak with tongues, and magnify God. Dearly beloved, in our Lord Jesus Christ, as was mentioned, as I mentioned a moment ago, this event is related to the, the event of Pentecost. That our, send, our ascended Lord poured out his spirit upon his bride, the church. Well, this event is related to that. That's brought out in the next chapter. Reading into the next chapter serves to also give further explanation of what we just read in chapter 10. And since chapter 10 was already a sufficient length. I didn't read on into chapter 11, but the first half of chapter 11 gives more explanation of the significance of the event that we, that we read of here. And from a number of points of view, first of all, when you get into the next chapter, it talks about how the apostles and brethren in Judea heard that the Gentiles had received the word of God and when Peter was come, they that were of the circumcision contended with him and said, You went into men uncircumcised and did eat with them. Then we read about how Peter told them what happened. And he explained what we just read. And then we read uh, in verse 15 of that next chapter, and as I began to speak, the Holy Ghost fell on them as on us at the beginning. Notice the connection. The Holy Ghost fell on them as on us. Then remembered I the word of the Lord, how that he said, John indeed baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost. For as much then as God gave them the like gift as he did unto us, who believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, what was I that I could withstand God? See, they're finding fault with him for going in uh, to a Gentile. Uh, and then he explains what happens, and then he says, God gave them the like gift that he gave unto us. 
What was I that I could withstand God? And then we read, when they heard these things, they held their peace and glorified God, saying, Then hath God also to the Gentiles granted repentance unto life. So that section, too, serves to bring out the significance of this event and how it was impressing upon the saints, the importance of going to the Gentiles and that God was gathering a people from the nations, and together they were going to be one people, the same Spirit dwelling within them, one people of God. And those people have the Spirit, the Spirit of Christ within them. And we know that the outward sign that we see in this text, that they spoke with tongues and magnified God, we understand, even though there are those that speak of the, that the speaking in tongues continues today, that that is not true. That there were signs that continued until the time that the scriptures were finished. But after the time that the scriptures were finished, we don't have external signs like the speaking of tongues still today. Yet, what it signified, the work of the Spirit that is indicated here, the fact that the Spirit is going forth to the nations and God's people from the different nations praising and glorifying God, speaking various nations, speaking various languages, rather, people from different nations praising God in their own language, God's, the word of God is going forth to the nations. God is gathering a Catholic church. And we are among those from the nations, people from different backgrounds, different nationalities. Sometimes we talk about what nationality are you? And there, there are in some of our churches, there's, there's maybe a bit more variety than in some other churches of the nationalities. Yet we see also, when we go across the globe, and what a joy that we see that the same spirit that is in us is in them. The spirit that works in us, it all is also within them, and we delight to commune together and together to praise the name of our God. Certainly there's instruction here about the work of the Spirit. There's instruction here about the work of missions and the work of the Church of Jesus Christ in that work of missions and going forth to the nations preaching the gospel. We consider this text under the theme, Gentiles receiving the Holy Spirit. We consider, first of all, the sent preacher that Peter was sent there to Cornelius and those who were with him, that God sent him there and told him to go there. Secondly, we look at the Spirit's work. And thirdly, we look at it from the viewpoint of the one people, Jew and Gentile, together, one people in Jesus Christ. Gentiles receiving the Holy Spirit, the sent preacher, the Spirit's work, and the one, and the one people. First of all, with regard to the, 
the historical narrative that we read of here. First point with regard to that, the sending of the preacher, is that we read of how Cornelius had been praying. Somebody's going to be sent to him. Peter's going to be sent to him to explain the word of God. But before we get to that, we see that he was praying. He was a Roman centurion, so you know, a military man. And he was of, the, of a group called the Italian band. He was at Caesarea. Caesarea, he was said to be a devout man who feared God with his house, and he prayed always. That, that specifically, there's, there's a repetition of this idea that he prayed. Then in verse 2, it brings out, he prays always. He's always praying. And then in, later on in, Acts, in, in verse 4, uh, we read about how he was told, thy prayers, he sees, says he, when he, you know, he sees a vision, and he says, the angel, an angel of God coming into him and saying unto him, this is what the angel said, he said, Thy prayers and thine alms are come up for a memorial before God. And then in verse 31, we read of, because we read of the, the narrative in more than one place, Cornelius repeats what, what took place, and he said that what was told to him was, Cornelius, thy prayer is heard. Send men to Joppa, to, to Joppa and so on. Then to Joppa. Now, it's good for us to consider this from the viewpoint of now, looking at it from the viewpoint of Cornelius, how much that would have impressed upon him that God hears our prayers. Now, we know that God hears our prayers. We ask, as young children, when you ask, now, when we pray, does God hear us? And our young children say, yes. We understand from a young age, when we're taught the truth from our youth, we understand that God hears our prayers, and yet it's easy to pray rather mechanically in our praying. Not even really thinking too much about what we're saying. Or thinking, or really expecting, thinking that the Lord is going, has heard my prayer, the Lord's going to grant what I request for Christ's sake, insofar as I've requested that things according to his will, requesting what he has promised, that he'll hear my prayer. He'll grant me what I need. Certainly, it would have been impressed upon Cornelius. He's praying, and then he's told, your prayers, your prayers are heard. And that applies to us in our own praying. He wanted to... Here was somebody who feared God with his house. He's been praying to God, and God is going to guide a man to him who is going to explain to him the word of God. And our desire that we might continue to learn and have the word of God explained to us, and we pray, and God hears our prayers. And if in this congregation you've been praying for a pastor, very recently had the joy of hearing that Reverend Klein has been led to accept your call. The Lord does hear our prayers. 
not only with regard to the providing of a pastor, but in other areas as well, how important it is for us to remember as we are praying that God hears our prayers. and God grants us that which we need. So then the first place we see in this, in this narrative. The second point that is brought out with regard to the narrative here is that the one who is sent is taught by God that God is no respecter of persons. Peter himself is receiving instruction. He's receiving instruction from God. And God is impressing upon him that he's no respecter of persons. And we see how Peter came to understand that as he has this vision and he's wondering what this vision means. And in the course of the narrative, we see how he is guided and he himself confesses that he, is, he sees that God is no respecter of persons. As far as the narrative, what takes place, he sees a vision. And he sees a vision around the sixth hour, which is in the middle of the day. He's on the housetop, he's praying, he's hungry, and, it, and he saw something like a sheep that descended, and it was knit at the four corners, and all manner of four-footed beasts and creeping things, wild beasts and birds are on, are on it, and then he is told, Arise, Peter, kill and eat. And Peter's recognizing that there are unclean animals there. And he says, I've never eaten anything common or unclean. So when he sees some unclean animals and he's told, rise, kill and eat, he says, not so. I've never eaten anything common or unclean. And then he's told what God has cleansed, you're not to call common. What God has made clean, don't call common. And as it happens three times. He's guided by the Spirit to understand that what he's seen with regard to these animals He's, being, he's receiving instruction with regard to people. And he makes a reference to that. He says that he should not call these people unclean. He says that he has learned that he should not call any man unclean. He comes to understand that. Uh, God has showed me that I should not call any man common or unclean. That's what he's coming to understand, that God is no respecter of persons. Now, what does it mean? What does that phrase mean? That phrase, God is no respecter of persons, when he says, I perceive that God is no respecter of persons. He says that in verse 34. When he begins to speak to Cornelius, and he's, then when he opened his mouth, he says, Of a truth I perceive that God is no respecter of persons. And then he explains that. But in every nation, him that feareth, feareth him, and worketh righteousness is accepted with him. To be a respecter of persons, and that's a, there's a phrase, that phrase appears a number of places in the scripture that we're not to make a judgment based on something that is external, is the idea. One who respects persons 
looks at that which is external, and on the basis of what is external, that will affect how he treats a person or what judgment he makes concerning a person. One's nationality, how he treats this one and that one could be, if that was relate, just based on what nation they're from, what race they are from, how much wealth they have. Making a judgment about one thing, well, he's got quite a bit of wealth and influence, and then making a judgment one way with regard to that person and another person who does not have that wealth, making a different judgment with regard to them. The people were warned about that or making a judgment uh, for other things that are external. Deuteronomy 1 verse 17, God said, Ye shall not respect persons in judgment, but ye shall hear the small as well as the great. Not only the great, but also the small. Ye shall not be afraid of the face of man. For the judgment is God's, and so on. Well, we're to remember that God is no respecter of persons. It was external that Cornelius and those with him are Gentiles. That's something external. But what is to be taken note of is that by the grace of God, they believed. They feared. We read that Cornelius feared God. And so he comes to understand, and Peter makes a reference to that, that he has come to understand that God is no respecter of persons, but that he that feareth him, and so on, is accepted of him. That's, that's, a, that's a point that the one who is sent is taught by God that. And that's an important part of the narrative to see the instruction God gave to the preacher who was going to be sent to go speak to Cornelius and those who were with him. We also see that this, what was being impressed upon them was the calling to go to the nations. Now, already in Matthew 28, 18 and 19, where we read what we call the Great Commission, Go forth and, and teach all nations, baptizing them in the Father and the Son and the, in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Go to all nations. Well, we see that already Christ had given that instruction. We see how gradually that was more and more impressed upon them. Really, go to the nations. We think of the vision that... Cornelius receives and that Peter then is told about. And that's part of the story too. He's going to hear, Peter's going to hear how Cornelius receives this vision. And then Peter receives a vision and he is told about these men that are come and that he's to go with them doubting nothing. And then when he gets there, the spirit is poured out as it, the, they receive the, the spirit as they are hearing the word and he hears them speak with tongues and magnify God and it's impressing upon him the importance 
of the word of God going to the different nations. We take also note of the fact that he was sent to one desiring to hear the word. That is a significant point with regard to the work of missions. To whom was he sent? To one who wanted to hear. Now we look to God to guide us to those who want to hear the word of God. When we read of that in this passage, it's good for that to be impressed upon us. What, what Cornelius said, he gathers together, he talks to those whom he knows. He talks to his family members, talks to friends. He gathers quite a few people together. For when Peter comes, he's telling people that Peter, that about this, that what's going to happen. And they're coming and they're all there present. And what are they present there? They are present there for what reason? He says, now therefore are we all here present before God to hear all things that are commanded thee of God. To hear somebody say something like that. We are here, we're all here, and we want to hear whatever God would have you to say to us. We want to hear the word of God. That's why we've gathered here. Everything that God, all things that he's told thee to tell us, all of it, we're here, ready to hear. You see the work of the Spirit and the fact that they that was the case. That they were all there ready to hear the word. Well, we are searching too, and our work of missions is searching for those who desire to hear the word explained and may be searching for those that can explain it to them, wanting to grow in their understanding of the word. And the, the preacher that was sent, what was he supposed to preach? What was he supposed to do when he got there? Well, we see how the fundamental doctrines that he preached. That he preached about Christ. How he did good, healed the oppressed. How he was crucified. Those repeatedly, the, those fundamental doctrines that we have set forth in the Apostles' Creed. You see how it's he would go through, that the, the Apostles' Creed accurately summarizes what the Apostles were preaching. And we call it the Apostles' Creed, and it does accurately summarize what they said. That we can see from the Scriptures that would talk about how he was crucified, dead, and buried. Talked about how he was raised again on the third day. We repeatedly see they would talk about his resurrection. And he stressed to them also that they, not only that he was raised, but that he showed them openly, and then not to all the people, but unto witnesses chosen before of God, even to us who did eat and drink with him. He rose from the dead. We ate. We ate with him. We drank with him. And he's the one that commanded us to preach unto the people. And then another fundamental doctrine that Christ, that Jesus is the Christ, he's ordained of God, 
He's anointed with the Holy Spirit. He's the Christ, Jesus, the Savior, the only Savior. He is the Christ, ordained of God to be the judge of quick and dead. Now that's one of the phrases we have in the Apostles' Creed. That was a fundamental that they preached, that he is the judge. He's coming back as judge. And repeatedly, when you see a short summary of what was preached, so often we see a reference to the coming judgment. And then, that central truth concerning the forgiveness of sins. To him give all the prophets witness that through his name, whosoever believeth on him shall receive remission of sins. The forgiveness of sins is also, in that very short Apostles' Creed, the truth concerning the forgiveness of sins is mentioned. That was central. Preaching this truth, whosoever believeth in Jesus, the Savior, shall receive the remission of sin. So you talk about the coming judgment and the punishment upon the impenitent, and then also speaking that whoever believes in Jesus, they receive remission, forgiveness. They're righteous in Christ. They are comforted with the truth that Christ's righteousness is imputed to them. All their sins are forgiven. And it's at that point, it's at that point that we read about that while he spake these words, the Holy Ghost fell on all of them which heard the word. The Holy Ghost fell on them that heard the word. So now we turn to in this next place to the work of the Spirit. So the sent preacher is gone, goes there, he preaches that good news of the gospel to them. And then we read about the work of the Spirit. The Spirit was the one who speaks in the proclamation of the gospel. Christ, by the Spirit, speaks to us by means of the preaching of the gospel. And we hear that the Holy Ghost fell on them which heard the word. Now that certainly served to confirm that what Peter was bringing really was the word of God. For those that were gathering together, what took place here would have served to impress upon Cornelius and those with him that what he just said, what Peter just said, is the truth. That is the, the word of God. That is the gospel of Christ. This certainly would have impressed that upon them. It also brings out that gospel preaching is not in vain. Another point, we talked about the importance of recognizing we pray. He really does hear us. Now, when we preach and we say it's the chief means of grace, how important it is for us to remember it really is. While he's speaking these words, the Holy Ghost falls on them that are hearing the word. It really is the chief means of grace. Particular grace, not that everyone who hears the word receives grace, it's particular grace, but it really is the chief means of grace. The Spirit 
When we talk about the means of grace, when we talk about that from the viewpoint of the answer to the question, from where, whence does our faith proceed? And the answer, from the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's the one who works faith by the preaching of the gospel. So we bring out the preaching as the chief means, but we're to remember it's the Holy Spirit who works faith by the preaching of the gospel of Christ. They received the Holy Spirit. Now, the Holy Spirit is sometimes referred to as the Spirit of Christ. In our churches, there's a number of times when we speak of the Spirit of Christ. Somebody that comes from outside our circles, they may not be as familiar with that phrase and wonder why why do you speak so often of the Spirit of Christ? Is the Spirit of Christ different than the Holy Spirit? No, the Holy Spirit and the Spirit of Christ are the same person. When we use the phrase the Spirit of Christ, we are talking about the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity. He's called the Spirit of Christ. Sometimes people say, is that actually a biblical phrase? Yes, it is. He's called the Spirit of Christ in 1 Peter 1, verse 11, for example. He's also called the Spirit of the Son in Galatians 4, verse 6. The Son, and the idea is that the Son who ascended into heaven received of the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit. So the Son received the promise of the Holy Spirit and then poured out the Spirit upon his bride, the church. The Spirit now that he had received poured out upon the church. The Spirit is referred to as the Spirit of Christ. And he came upon those that were hearing the word. Now that serves to bring out two. It's important for us to recognize here about what does this mean about the, the fact that these people hear the word and then the Holy Spirit falls on them and they speak in tongues. What, is, what are we reading about here? It's important to remember, first of all, with regard to, say, Cornelius, with the which we are told more. Undoubtedly, the Spirit's work was already evident in Cornelius. He's told that his prayer is heard. He wants to hear the word of God. Well, obviously, the Spirit was already working in him. That he desired to hear the word of God. Then they hear the gospel of Christ. They hear uh, the, the news that is that Peter explains to them. And they who are, and they believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Spirit is the one who worked in them that faith. Now they have a deeper understanding of the word. So that just like it was at Pentecost, and we're familiar with at Pentecost, that there was believers gathering together, the Spirit is poured out, and these believers are guided into a deeper understanding of the word. It wasn't that they were unbelievers before, it wasn't that they were unregenerate before and then they 
and then the Spirit was poured out, and then they became regenerated. They already were believers, which means that the Spirit was already working within them. But now they are guided to a deeper understanding of the Word. Even as the disciples themselves were guided to see how the Old Testament spoke about Christ, they were guided to understand the crucifixion. Why would he die that way? To understand the crucifixion, the resurrection, the ascension, that he would be ascend to a heavenly throne and pour out the Spirit and that they were to go forth and preach the gospel concerning the truth of the forgiveness of sins as they came to a deeper understanding of that and to recognize that the Jesus that they had seen or heard about was in them. They were guided to a Deeper understanding of the Word is what was taking place. And that's what the Spirit does. He guides us more to understand the Word. So it's not that He gives us new revelation that we don't have in the Word. It isn't that Christ speaks one message and then the Spirit comes with a different, additional message but that rather the Spirit guides us to understand the Word. He works in us. Working in us faith involves His working in us to understand what the Scriptures say. To understand how Christ fulfilled the Old Testament promises, the promises that we read of, the covenant promises that we read of in the Old Dispensation. And how he fulfilled the promises that we read of in the Old Testament. God made his everlasting covenant. His one covenant. His everlasting covenant with his people. And Christ by his death confirmed the covenant. The new covenant of grace. The Spirit guides us to understand these things. What the church was going through was a transition. And this is a, a point that we often make with regard to what was happening at Pentecost. The church was going through a time of transition from childhood to adulthood. Even as childhood into adulthood, there's a transition into a deeper understanding. So the church in the old dispensation was said to be the church in her childhood, just as Galatians 4 speaks that way. And there were various pictures. There were ceremonies, figures of the law. Now the church was going from the old dispensation to the new dispensation. The ceremonies and figures of the law ceased. The shadows had been accomplished. They were all pointing to Christ. Now Christ had come. Just like before there was a high priest. Well, now the high priest had come. Before, like in the days of David and Solomon, there was a king. Well, now the king has come. We don't have a king now. We don't have a high priest. The high priest and king has come. Before, there were various prophets. Well, now the prophet has come. Our chief prophet has, and teacher has come. And we continue 
to as work as prophets in the sense of proclaiming what God has already taught us, but not in the sense of God revealing to us new revelation. Christ has come. We have moved to the time of the new dispensation. And the Spirit continues to work in us that we might glorify our God. What does the Spirit do within us? Well, the Spirit comforts us with the truth of the forgiveness of sins. The Spirit who worked in us, faith, who works in us, faith, the Spirit comforts us, assures us of everlasting life. How is it that you know and you have assurance that you will live forever with God. The Holy Spirit has given you that assurance. That's why you have that assurance. He assures you that God loves you, that you will live forever, that your salvation is not based on anything that you've done. It's all of God's grace. He that is with you now, he will abide with you forever. That he's called the comforter. He assures us of that. And in our trials and in the difficulties we go through, the Spirit continues to comfort us with that truth. That we are safe in Christ Jesus. That our sins are forgiven. The Spirit comforts us. The Spirit also strengthens us to fight against our sin. When we get to the end of the Heidelberg Catechism, and when we pray, talk about the prayer, deliver us from evil, we say, our spiritual enemies are so, they cease not to assault us, and we, we couldn't stand a moment. Strengthen us by the power of the Spirit. It's the Spirit that strengthens you and me to fight against spiritual foes. He guides us to understand the truth. He's working in us faith. He assures us. He strengthens us to fight against our threefold enemy. He works in us to praise our God from the heart, thanking him for forgiveness and deliverance. Notice that what they, they do when they, the ones that receive the Spirit, what do they do? They magnify God. What do those who have the Spirit within them do? They magnify God. They delight to praise Him. God is great and infinitely glorious. We don't add to his greatness. He's infinitely glorious. But the idea is we proclaim. We proclaim his greatness. We delight to praise him. We delight to speak of his works. To talk about what he has done for his people. What he's done for us. He guides us into an understanding of the 
of, of what he has done for us and in us, and we want to praise him. We want to exalt his name. We want to express our gratitude to God. The Spirit is the one who works in us so that we delight to praise. As we gather, as we did, as we've stood up today to sing the psalm, and we delight to sing them. And we really do. At times we get sidetracked. When we're singing the psalms, we find at certain times we may sing a stanza and we think, you know, I don't really been paying attention to what I was singing in that stanza. And then very quickly we start singing more from the heart again. Because we want, we want to praise him. We've got a sinful nature that we have to fight against, but we do really want to praise him. So we do fight to praise him from the heart, to think about what we're saying, what the words mean, and that we are really talking about what he has done for us, how great he is, how glorious he is, that we want to tell others about him too, and in our daily life we want to witness to others about what we have seen and heard. The Spirit works in us to praise the name of our God, to praise Jesus, the Savior who has saved us from our sins. And we continue to ask for the Spirit. You know, on Lord's Day 45, why is prayer necessary for the Christian? God will give his grace and Holy Spirit to those only who with sincere desires continually ask them of him and are thankful for them. We continue to ask God for the grace, for his spirit to strengthen and comfort us. And lastly, we look at it from the viewpoint that's clearly one point that was being impressed upon them and also upon us is that there's one people of God. And that we, with those from all nations, are one. Now at this time, it was impressed upon them that there was no distinction between Jew and Gentile. That they were all one in Jesus Christ. We read that the Gentiles were astonished. They of the circumcision, I mean the Jews rather, were astonished. It says, while Peter yet spake these words, the Holy Ghost fell on all them which heard the word, and they of the circumcision which believed were astonished. There were some Jews that came with Peter when Peter went to where Cornelius was. There were some Jews that went with him. That's who was referred to as they of the circumcision, the Jews. And when they saw that, they were astonished. Why? Because on the Gentiles also was poured out the gift of the Holy Ghost. The Gentiles referring to the nations, those outside of Israel. That to them also, it was impressed upon them that there's one body, one spirit, there's no distinction. 1 Corinthians 12, 13 says, For by one Spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, 
and have been all made to drink into one spirit. So that was impressed upon them. Well, today, there are still to this today, there are those that speak about there being two peoples of God. Israel is distinct from the church. Many people teach that. That's a typical Baptist position, that Israel and the church are two separate peoples of God. But the scriptures say that's not true. The saints in the old dispensation were saved by faith in Christ as we are. They believed in Christ. We believe in Christ. They were looking forward to the coming Christ. And we read of how the disciples had some misunderstandings about what the Christ was going to do. But it was the case that they were believing in Christ. They were saved by faith in Christ. And so is it also true today. Israel was promised that they would receive the Spirit. And when the Spirit was poured out, that promise to Israel was fulfilled. And the church, Israel and the church are one people. Israel, there would be people that would be gathered into, from the nations into the one holy nation the church of Jesus Christ is the one holy nation gathered from all the nations of the world. There's one body and one spirit, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. We read of that in Ephesians 4, verses 4 and 5. One people of God. The church is the one holy nation called the Israel of God. Israel and the church are one. We talk about how Israel in the old dispensation was the church. And we talk about how now, when you talk about the church, well, we are called the Israel of God. It's one people. In one Lord Jesus Christ, united by one spirit. And that was impressed upon them. And should be impressed upon us. Application of that is the importance of us really going to the, old, the different nations. Still today, we can say, well, I know that God is gathering a people from the nations. Well, it also impresses upon us the importance of going to the nations. That's part of what this, what this event, what was happening here, was bringing out the importance of how the, the Gentiles were receiving the Spirit. There were those among the nations who wanted to hear the word of God, which means we, we need to go to them. And this congregation has been faithfully used, has been used of God and has been diligently involved in that work and the work of the Philippines for some time. Very much appreciate the work that this congregation has done. The work of the council, working with a number of men in the council, here over the years, very thankful for the work that, that this church has done, not only as in the council, but as a congregation together, supporting the work and praying for the work, encouraging the missionaries, uh, writing to them. Thankful to God for that. Thankful to God for, for the work that you've done. And obviously that work of going to the nations continues 
It may get to the point where a sister church, there's a certain type of a transition in our relationship with the churches in the Philippines, but it's still not only going to the Philippines and helping out in the Philippines, but also as far as the other nations, we're to continue to look to where God would have us to go in our own country and in other lands. God is gathering a people from the different nations of the world, and we are to go. That's what was impressed upon the saints at this time, the time over we read, and that was what was impressed upon us too. And there's true unity, true unity only in body of Christ. One people of God, we also experience that unity. The world talks about a different unity. The world talks about working together as those of this world. And we see nations working together and uniting together and being involved together. Well, we know that at the Tower of Babel, we see how those of this world wanted to gather together, but they were pursuing a carnal kingdom. And God scattered them. God scattered, scattered them and confounded their speech, and they spoke different languages. God is going to gather a church, and it was God's plan that there would be all these different languages, that at Babel there would be this scattering, and there would be now all these different groups speaking different languages, and now we see as they're speaking in these different languages, God is going to be gathering a church from the nations into the one church of Jesus Christ, and only in him is there true unity. Only in the church is there the unity. The Spirit works in us and guides us together to praise the name of our God as those who are united in him. May we do that. May we exalt the name of our Savior. What a joy it is to praise God with those of the different nations in our own churches, like here, having people from different nationalities as members here and in our, in our other churches. What a joy it is when in our own church we have people from different nationalities we're united by one spirit and the one body of Christ. We're brothers and sisters in the Lord and our desire together is to magnify the name of our God. May we encourage one another and live to the honor of his name. Amen. Let us pray. O Lord, our God and our Father, we give thee thanks and praise, O Lord, for thy work and the work of the Spirit in us and in our children. Grant us strength faithfully to bear witness to thy truth, O Lord. We are thankful for the, the Spirit. Strengthen us by the Spirit. And grant that thy name may be magnified in all different nations. For Christ's sake, amen.